What a wild week in official policy, central banking, data, the economy, pretty much everything. Markets up and down. We began the week with the treasury market bid heavily by foreigners, then sold just as heavily by Americans. What in the hell is going on here? I'm going to bring on my friend Steve Van Meter, as we do every week. Let's see if we can recap this wild week. And I think the place to start, Steve, I want to get your take on the payroll data, because that's a big one that ties all of these things together, right? Payrolls, employment, that's definitely, it hits the economy. It hits uh, Federal Reserve policy, as well as investments, because everybody pays attention to that payroll number. As you know, Friday mornings, the first Friday of every month, BLS survey, everybody's got it. So what was your take on it, Steve? Yeah, so I actually thought that the number was going to come in. I publicly said on Twitter, I think, hey, we'll hit two to 250 because, Jeff, I've learned from you that the trend on the payroll reports all that matters. So you can almost scale it down as you see the trend going down. So I thought, well, I'm going to test this out, and that's going to be my call. And I, I tell you what I really love about it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love something that you're gonna not even going to believe is I love how the payroll report helped Powell get out of jail. He was in hot water, right, going into the Fed meeting, you know, the Senate Banking Committee, you know, the number one guy and another one senator sent him a letter, you know, a sternly worded letter. Hey, you Powell Fed chief, you better not screw up, you know, payrolls. You better not screw up the economy. Keep the job market strong. And he hands him this lagged report, and it's beautiful because he got out of jail. He could hike rates and say, look, what, what do you mean? Everything's fine. Look at all these jobs we're creating. But, Jeff, we know that underneath the covers, there's there's a lot of problems with this report. It's almost like the establishment survey is asymptotic now because it's decelerated, and now it's just touching the lower end of this this range that the, the BLS has it in, and it's not. it doesn't want to go any lower. It's almost like going in a straight line, which – as you know, Steve, is kind of its purpose. Um, but for me, you know, I, as I, I did a video on this yesterday, check that out if you want to. Um, for me, you have to look at all the payroll data, all the labor market data, not just the establishment survey. You got to look at the household survey, because as I said in that video, at times like these, it may be the household survey that is much more accurate and precise than the establishment survey is for various reasons we don't need to get into here. Now, in case you don't know, the household survey actually declined for the third time in the last seven months. So since March, something has changed in the labor market, at least according to the household survey. Um, you got three declines in seven months in the labor market. The labor force fell for the fifth time of the last seven months. It is up only 250,000 in those seven months, even though 1.1 million Americans uh, became of age and, and theoretically should have joined the labor force, but didn't. Of course, then you have the unemployment rate, which rose based on the fall in the household survey and the lack of growth in the labor force. And to me, the biggest one, and I know it's a big one to use too, Steve, full-time employment down big again. Over the last seven months since March, full-time jobs have fallen by almost half a million. Now that's seven months and half a million, which pretty much eliminates random statistical chance here. There's something going on here, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one thing I looked at, Jeff, is the ADP report. And I know a lot of people put a grain of salt in that. And, and I tend to as well. I know you do. But there's one thing I really like about the ADP report is it gives a nice breakdown of where you see these jobs being created. So what you want to see is manufacturing sector. You want to see financial jobs, professional jobs. And what do we see? 
leisure, leisure hospitality. We saw a transportation. And what is that telling us? Hey, we're going into the holiday season. There's probably a boatload of seasonal hiring. And you just kind of echoed that by saying, look, full-time jobs are going down here, but look at all these jobs we're creating. And it kind of makes me think that we're creating a lot of part-time jobs that starting next year are going to go away. Yeah, and they're not coming back. But you're right. As far as, you know, the media, the mainstream narrative, Jay Powell and the central banks go, at least the central bank in the U.S., as we'll get to in a minute here, um, the employment numbers seem to validate their opinion. It's Look, we said the economy was going to slow down and the establishment survey, the payroll number has slowed down at 261,000 in October. That was the slowest since December of 2020. But Still, two hundred sixty thousand. Remember back before twenty twenty, two hundred sixty thousand used to be used to be a blowout. They used to be cause for celebration. So, as far as Paul is concerned, two hundred sixty thousand, as you said, Steve, get out of jail free because he can say we're hammering inflation. We're hammering inflation. The jobs market seems to be just fine. But I wonder if he, how much Powell talks to his counterparts from around the world. So while he can say hey, the labor market looks fine, even though you and I know that the labor market is far from fine. In fact, it's, it looks like it's almost certain we're transitioning into recession here. The question is when. And that seems to be a question that his counterparts in Australia and in London and England may already be asking, when is the recession happening? And that's, I think, we have three central banks this week, all hiking rates, but all sounding, at least on the surface, very, very differently. And I wanted to get your take on that too, Steve. Yeah, so Jeff, going into the Fed mean, I kind of said that I think this is their last hike. Now, I know that's not Wall Street's view that they're, you know, looking out at June of 2023, another, you know, I think one and, uh, and a quarter percent in hikes. But I, I thought, you know, this Fed mean was very political because, you know, we, we heard from the RBA that they were saying, OK, hey, we're we're getting a little nervous here. You hear from the Bank of England saying we're really nervous because we're in a recession, but we're hiking anyway. So like, wow, well, this, this doesn't make it wasn't this recession, right? We're a two year recession. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, we're we're going to have a two year recession. Race, but it's we're a two -year now. <laughs> right. But we're going to hike rates anyways. How, you know. We, we started to hear dissent from the Fed speakers. Obviously, we have, you know, the Senate Banking Committee starting to put some pressure on him. And I thought it was brilliant because he came out here and just, you know, was hammering. I'm a hawk. I'm a hawk. We're going to hike, hike, hike. And then I, I don't care what he says, because all I looked at was a press release. And that one sentence they threw in there that pretty much said, hey, we're probably going to follow the B, uh, RBA and the BOE on this. And, and I think he did it because he needed everyone to support his hike. And he had to essentially a political move internally to say, look, I'll start listening to you, but not not this month. Yeah, as I said, I think it's even more absurd than that. I agree with you. There's definitely political politics involved here, political pressures and all that. But the way the Federal Reserve, especially the way they practice economics, neo-Keynesian economics in the U.S., which seems to be slightly different than the way it's practiced around the rest of the world, an extra healthy or actually unhealthy dose of psychology. And I think Powell knows, again, the sentence in the, uh, the statements that the FOMC released pretty much left no doubt here. They are monitoring situation. I especially like the last two words, which was financial conditions. They are worried about the way markets are trending. They're worried about what's happened in markets overseas, particularly the UK. And they acknowledge that there is a tremendous risk that those that financial instability of that kind is going to or could interrupt their rate hike schedule. But Powell, 
the psychology that they believe in, he has to squeeze every last little bit out of it as he can before they have to turn around because he's afraid that if he doesn't continue to hammer the hawkish message, that inflation expectations will unanchor in the in the in the parlance of the psychology manipulation. And if that were to happen, in his mind, we get both the recession and ongoing recession, ongoing consumer price inflation. So he had to stay hawkish in order to pretend that they're going to continue to be hawkish, lest you and I get too excited about the Fed pivot that the Fed just said we have. A, there's a possibility we're going to pivot, and so you have all of these things working together, including what Australia and the Bank of England said. And just to back up a little bit here first, in case you are, in case you didn't see it, the Reserve Bank of Australia hiked rates at the at the beginning part of the week. They increased their benchmark cash rate by only 25 basis points, which was the second 25 basis point rate hike in a row after hiking by 50 basis points four times in a row through the middle of the year. So RBA is already saying we're slowing down the pace of right hikes. And in their statement from, uh, I, forget, I forget the guy's name, I think it's Philip Lowe, the RBI governor, he mentioned the greatest uncertainty as far as Australia is concerned is the global economy. And as Steve just mentioned, Bank of England hiked by 75 basis points, which was their largest in a very, very long time, but then turned around and said, this might be the last one because we think we're already in a recession and one that might last two years. So the the contrast here, which see, on the surface is a contrast, but may actually not be a contrast. The RBI hiking rates, the Bank of England hiking rates, the Fed hiking rates, and all three sort of hinting at or getting at global recession and the possibility of pivot, but doing it in their own way. You know, I love this, Jeff, because the Fed knows they're going to pivot. Powell knows he's going to pivot. And I'm, I'm going to set you up for this because I want to get your take, because in the past, Powell has said he cares about the three-month 10-year yield curve. And in fact, we know going back into 2018, why did where did this QE come from at the time when really no one saw it was coming? Well, it was because the three-month 10-year was practically inverted again. And he said that this is an indicator of recession. It does mean inflation's coming down. And during the press release, he gets called out on it and they ask him <laughs> and he pretty much just throws it off the table and says, nah, that doesn't mean No, we don't look at that anymore. <laughs> yeah, because he knows for, he, I mean, you know, you think about the, the people in the Fed, a lot of them are academics and that's where they get their pull from. But Powell's not. And he actually knows what this stuff means. I mean, he didn't get rich by being a complete idiot. The guy knows how the system works and he's got to stand up there in front of everybody and act like it, it does, it's not doing what he thinks. So he's going to hike more, but he knows for a fact that three month tenure says he's toast. Yeah. Jay Powell, if people don't realize he was an investment banker before he went to the treasury department. I just wrote an article about him because he was a key player in one of the most important episodes for me of the early 1990s, which was the Solomon brothers episode. And he was the one that actually has undersecretary of treasury who was actually, I believe, negotiating with Warren Buffett to rescue Solomon Brothers. And so you're right, Steve, he knows a lot more than maybe some of these academic ec economists do. And so he also knows like a good gambler when to fold them and run away, <laughs> which he did, because you're right. They always said, oh, forget the yield curve. The yield curve, when it inverts, say, between the 7 and 10-year, that's quirk. I mean, look at the 20-year versus the 30-year. That's some technical thing. We don't have to worry about that. But when it gets to the 3-month 10-year, that's when you got to start to worry. And then, of course, it gets to the 3-month 10-year. Now what do they say? Oh, well, there's 
There's a couple new academic studies that say it's not the three-month tenure, it's the three-month versus the 18-month forward, which is what the market supposedly says the three-month treasury bill rate is going to be 18 months from now. So they continually change, they're moving the goalposts because the market is continuing to progress. As we said, you know, consistent with what you're seeing in the household survey, right? Because the yield curve inverted in March and what happened? The household survey picked up something big happened in March. Then the yield curve continued to progress more and more toward the front, got deeper and deeper inverted. What does the household survey say? More and more likely the economy has rolled over toward recession. So these two things together and Jay Powell's moving the goalpost, you have three pretty clear signs that things are not going the way they're supposed to be. And as much as we, we, uh, we nag on these policymakers and we make fun of them for the ridiculous things that they're forced to do, they are at least smart enough to realize that the world is moving against them, right? I mean, at some level, at some point, you know, now that all the Dudleys and the Bernankes are gone from the crisis era, there, there has been some small progress in at least figuring out what, what's going on here. There has. And I think what's changed, as you, as you mentioned, you keep saying, and we know this is true, something did change in March. Obviously, we'll figure out someday what that changes. You don't, we don't, it's not apparent. We can just see, you know, effects of what's going on here. But one thing, Steve, they're going to say it's rate hikes. <laughs> they're going to oh, say yeah. it's the right. rate hikes, which well, is ridiculous. Well, of course, and, and and we can even get into the monetary lags, but, I, but what's going on to me, Jeff, and I think the Fed has seen this, and I know the members of the FOMC board, because they're getting heat from their very respective districts, is layoffs, right? It's not just because yeah. Elon Musk buys Twitter and lays off half the people. You know, we heard all through earnings season, you know, we didn't hear any companies come out and say, hey, you know what? We're doing so great. We're so understaffed. We need to hire buku amounts of people. What do we keep hearing? Yeah, we're, we've got to cut. We've got to cut. We've, and now these cuts aren't big in most cases, but they're still cuts. And I think that's what the, the members of the FOMC board are starting to hear out of their districts. And they're starting to worry that maybe we've gone too far. Maybe this weirdo Milton Friedman was right about these monetary lags, because if he is, well, we're in that six to 12 month window now. And before we blink, we're going to be at the 12 month window in March. And we're going to find out real fast what all of these rate hikes and this quantitative tightening is really going to do. Yeah, I think that's an important point, too, is that, first of all, the transition into cuts, they do start small. And second, I think the more important point from these corporate earnings reports that have come out and all the statements is that there's still future tense. It's not past tense. The companies are not saying we already cut a bunch of workers and we're fine. They're saying if revenues continue to develop, if profits and margins continue to develop in the direction that they are, we're going to have to cut workers. We're gonna to have to go more, you know, up until this point, maybe we've adjusted our hours, we've adjusted a little bit internally, maybe we haven't hired as many people, but it's the future tense of going to have to cut workers. And because that, and again, as I said, because it's, uh, it's related to financial results in, in these various businesses, there's one last thing I wanna talk about with you, Steve, and that's maybe the stock market's potential reaction to both of these things. Because on the one hand, it seems like Fed pivot, if you believe that the, the Fed's rate hikes are the reason why stocks are lower over the last year, then a, a Fed pivot should be very positive. The punch bowl's back, baby. And then on the other hand, if the Fed is pivoting because of what these companies are saying about the earnings environment and everything, the economy, wouldn't that be 
bad for stocks. So which way are we going here? Is is the Fed pivot good and the recession bad or is it one or the other? What is the deal here? Yeah, Jeff, I, I think we're almost setting up for a melt up. And, and you get this, and I know you know this because you go back and look at previous points in history where the Fed pauses and the market just you know rallies for no reason at all, which is what effectively a melt up is. But why does the market like what's going on? Because one, they do believe the Fed is going to pause at some point. And so they believe that's good. The second is, hey, if my company is trimming staff right now and we have, say, a really good holiday season, what does that mean for my bottom line? Oh, big fat profits and earnings. Stocks go up. And so what you see is a lot of people, a lot of money's flowing back into the markets as retail runs to the sidelines. And what that sets up is, again, FOMO. You start to see stocks rally for no real reason whatsoever. And next thing you know, retail comes flying back in and you drive the market up. And next thing you know, as we've talked about, the Fed cutting is not actually good. When the Fed starts to cut or any central bank, it's too late. Something's breaking and they're panicking. And then you get the next big leg down in the bear market. So I think we're really set up here for, you know, you see the CPI maybe next week go down. You've got the midterms. You've got seasonality here. You've got a lot of reasons, I think, that could drive markets up and then suck more people back in. Yeah, I think the most famous example was the first rate cut in into what became the global monetary crisis in 2007. Fed cut rates actually in August of 2007. They cut the discount window, primary credit rate, and then September was the emergency, uh, the emergency uh, rate cut for at the from the uh, main federal funds target, and stocks by October 2007 hit a new record high, just barely weeks in front of what became the Great Recession. So there is this interesting dynamic, and it's understandable, right, Steve, because we're all told Fed, 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 and if the Fed is taking away the punch bowl, and then, then, then it looks like they're going to give us the punch bowl back, you can understand it like why at least for a, a period of time people want to go back into the stock market. Uh, any last thoughts before we go, Steve? I mean, what a week, right? It was crazy, up and down and, and volatility. Yeah, because what I want to add, Jeff, is when we look at the economic data, which is what we both do and we talk about on your show, when are we going to actually start to see that downturn because of the holiday seasonals here? We won't probably see it till next year. So the reality is, you know, if you're looking for something in, in the economic data to blow up between now and the end of the year, you're probably not going to see it. And that's all the market wants is, hey, the data is still good. The Fed's freaking out. Boom, stocks go up. Now, we can talk about when January, February, March about how this is probably not going to look so pretty because that's when the real data is going to show up and tell us the truth of what's been happening last few months. Yeah, that's a good point. Though I will say for me, full-time jobs, that was that was the one that blew up and that, that was enough confirmation for me. So thanks for joining me again, Steve. Appreciate it. We'll see you again next week. Jeff, always a pleasure, and I'll look forward to seeing you next weekend.